This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're doing well on this Thursday afternoon. Again, I had to think about that for a second. (laughs) Claudette, you and I spoke about that yesterday. Another thing we spoke about yesterday is, uh, and it happened, uh, the news uh, broke during um, our show uh, yesterday afternoon, the fact that uh, Tina Turner had passed away. And now now that it's sinking in, I think a lot of people have their own memories, especially the time that she spent here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And we heard that great interview this morning with uh, Bruce Morell, who was uh, part of Donald K. Donald's um, uh, promotional team that brought Tina Turner here to Newfoundland and Labrador, St. John's, uh, the old Memorial Stadium back in 1985. And uh, while we're all getting a little long in the tooth these days, (laughs) uh, there are still a lot of people who remember that as a very iconic time. And she spent 10 full days in the capital city. Even walking around uh, St. John's feeling comfortable enough uh, with her level of superstardom at the time. And it really was. I mean, she was arguably one of the most famous people in the entire world. Queen of rock and roll. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, like her, the tra- 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 trajectory, I'm sorry, of her career just skyrocketed into the 1980s. Well, I mean, that's just his- history, but the tributes are continuing to pour in for the late Tina Turner. Fans expressing sadness and disbelief at the Aldwych Theatre in London's West End, where the production about the star's life is running. We were enjoying the first half of the show, and then the news came through as the intermission happened. It was like a jaw-dropping moment. Everyone finds a little bit of themselves in her story. She said that. Outside of the theatre, a growing floral tribute to the musical icon. Tom Rivers, ABC News, London. And of course, she uh, she moved to uh, the UK initially, I think, and then uh, settled down in Switzerland and became a Swiss citizen. And uh, like um, Claudette and I were just saying, she famously spent ten days in St. John's uh, when she played four sellout back-to-back shows at the Old Memorial Stadium. And if you think about that, one of the biggest stars on the planet at the absolute pinnacle of her career, staying in St. John's and walking around on the streets and popping into businesses and restaurants and just feeling comfortable enough here to do that. Of course, it was all before social media right. and everybody had a camera in their Selfie. hands and, <laughs> uh, you know, and you couldn't probably walk down the road without being harassed. But uh, it's really uh, shows um, how, I mean, what an incredible per- person she was start for starters um and uh of course a lot of people know her for her uh, her performances uh not just her singing but her her performance she was able to emote and just capture a she stage commanded the stage yeah. she absolutely commanded the stage and commanded your full attention uh and here's some of what uh, turner herself had to say about her iconic look and her image they don't care about age or music necessarily they care about the image that little short dress is a little doll figure kind of a thing. It's music, it's energy, it's red lips, it's what every little girl will get in the, mir- in the mirror and do and put on her mother high heel shoes and what the little boys like. So it almost sounds like, you know, she, she embraced that because she loved it. 
Yeah, I mean, um, but uh, of course, aside from her look, the story and all of the things that she had to endure in her personal life, I just wish, I always wait, it seems like I wait too late to watch these things, but now, you know, once we lose somebody like that, makes me want to go watch the documentaries on her, for instance, and, and learn more about her, her personal struggles, because it, it just adds to her stardomness. I watched a, a bit of a BBC documentary with her uh, in interview, sorry, I should say, with her. Um, within the last four or five years, it would mm-hmm. have had to be just before COVID. She was, I think she was just turning 78 or 79 at the time, and she passed away this week at the age of 83. And uh, uh, part of that, part of her, now, you know, you know what it's like, Claudette, nobody wants to be dragging up those kinds of things all the time, all the time, all right. the time. But she did speak very frankly about it for a short period of time. She said, you know, that this is not something I really want to talk about very much, but she did um, talk about some very painful um, memories of her time with Ike Turner. And uh, she actually cringed. She actually cringed and she put her hands on her forehead. She said, oh my God, I can't even believe. I'm not going to explain to you what what she went through but it was just but she worked through the cringiness because people need the awareness on that so other people can step up and get out of those situations yeah for sure for sure but you know like you say now who wants to relive it and relive it and relive it but um one of the the things about her of course was uh, uh this this persona she had on the stage and here's what she had to say about her longevity and lasting power in the business our longevity in the business is attractive to all age groups because of the energy. And so why I I dance at such a pace is because it feels good with the dance and I'm known for that kind of energy. And um, young kids can really relate to that as well. And how much energy do you have to have? If you've ever seen her do a performance, I mean, one would be exhausting enough. (laughs) But she used to command a stage for about two hours. It was just, (laughs) whoa. How do you keep that level of energy up and emote and give that to the audience time after time after time? Here's what she had to say about her dance moves. Certain dance steps go with certain songs. Hot Legs is one attitude. Honky Tonk Woman is probably the same attitude. But Proud Mary is another liberated one. You're flying then, you know. Nutbush is another type of one. So that helped her a lot. So there you go. Um, Tina Turner passed away earlier this week at the age of 83 following a lengthy illness. So we'll come up, coming up, sorry, David Brazel's swan song in the House of Assembly as the leader, um, as leader, sorry, as the legislature closes for the summer. They uh, shut her down uh, just a short while ago, and uh, he is uh, stepping down as leader of the opposition. He's going to stay on as MHA, uh, but we'll hear what he had to say. It was kind of emotional at times. This is News Talk on VOCM. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. Well, the House of Assembly wrapped up today as the legislature shuts down for the summer months. Uh, This is PC opposition leader David Brazel's final time speaking in the House as party leader. Here's some of what he had to say a short time ago, starting with a standing ovation by his legislative colleagues. I said I try not to be emotional, and normally I'm not, but every now and then it, uh, it breaks out every now and then when you think about the importance of what we do here. But more importantly, the importance of the people that we represent. You know, I've had the privilege for 13 years to uh, be in this great institution and part of this great house, and I've sat on both sides, and I've had many 
positions here and get a better understanding of the role everybody does in this house. Uh, but I do think, what a wonderful province we have. Think of it. A kid from Belle Isle, of a widow parent, gets to be leader of the opposition twice without ever spending a cent or having put his name on a ballot. <laughs> what a freedom country we have. What a province we have here. somebody who represents the beautiful historic <laughs> district of Conception Bay, East Bell Island, to pull that off. But I do first and foremost want to thank the two caucuses that gave me this privilege, have chosen me to be leaders over the last number of years. And I've got to learn a lot. I've got to grow a lot. I've got to see the skill set on both sides of the house. I've got to make great friendships with a number of my colleagues, those who are still in the house, a number of them who are not as part of on both sides of the house. And I've got to socialize in different elements and different situations with people and get to see another side other than just the political side. And I do appreciate that and see the benefit of what we all do here and the sincerity of all of us here. We'll banter many times and we'll continue to do that. No doubt we will. Although I said it once, I've said it a hundred times here. I have full confidence that everybody in this house comes with the, way, the first and primary objective to do what's best for the people of this province. We may not always agree. We may not always agree. And I said I'd be sincere about what I was going to say. And I said I'd be poignant about certain things that I have to get off my chest. And then I'll be a little bit emotional on some of the other things. We've had some great debate in here. We don't always agree. There are some outstanding issues that I still and very diligently think that we need to stand up in unison for. One is the Ode to Newfoundland and Labrador. And I know, and sometimes I'll take a pot shot at the NDP for not being supportive like yesterday, but that was something that's dear and near to all of us here, and I think that as part of it. I get why the government couldn't support our PMR yesterday. I get from a legislation point. I get that. But I do think we need to be a bit more unison here when it comes to doing things. Our oil and gas industry, how can we not all be supportive of that? There are things here that I think are very important. And it's not a slight against the environment, because we all do that. So I think in unison, all parties have to be supportive of what we do as part of those processes. Our healthcare system, when we talk about and the misinformation about privatizing the healthcare system, we have people, private citizens, health professionals providing healthcare. We need to stand and support them. If it's in the dental uh, industry, if it's the optometry industry, if it's the blood collection industry, if it's any of the industries that we need to find ways to do it, we need to collectively be on the same page if we're to make this uh, better for people in Newfoundland and better access and more improvements as part of that. They're part of the process here. But I have to clarify one other issue before I get into the thank yous and that. It's about something I'm very proud of and spent years fighting for. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but now five. Five schools that are re relevant to people in my district that will have access to clean, safe, inclusive, and modern education. And I'll never apologize for fighting for all of those five schools, and particularly the one that has been announced recently in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, because that benefits everybody involved. Somebody asked the question here, the leader of the third party, the justification. I'll give you the justification. Seven years ago, we started a process for a junior high in Portugal Cove, St. Phillips, the fifth largest town in Newfoundland Labrador. 
Next to CBS, the second fastest growing in Newfoundland and Labrador. The largest landmass for a municipality in a suburban area. Acknowledging the fact that it has a growing population. Acknowledging the fact that kids are bused to another city, into another school, into another whole different realm. My objective and the parents' objectives and the school councils and all involved and the council itself was about ensuring that we have a continuous education system in one of the fastest growing communities that we know is going to have a ma massive demand. We built a junior high. Now it's beyond capacity. That speaks volumes. So how would we not have a continuation from that? When COVID kicked in, we were about the school council, the town council, about to do what we had done before in meeting with the school district, in outlining our demographic breakdown, live births, the costing itself, the importance of uh, an all-inclusive education and full access to it, and the benefit within that community. Unfortunately, COVID kicked in. I refused to wait another two years before COVID ended. And I talked to school council people. We couldn't meet. I talked to the municipal ele uh, elected officials. So I said, look, I had been through it with a number of other people before. We have the template. We'll take it and lead it. So me and my staff in this department, working with all other line departments, put all the data together, the justification as to why a, se a, se a senior high was necessary in Portugal, St. Phillips. Not taking away the necessity for one in CBS, for one in Paradise. All school entities that we had outlined before government changed were priorities. On a list, I was Minister of Transportation Works, responsible for infrastructure. They were on a list that we met with the school district. Now, whether or not the school district agreed with it, in my opinion, was secondary, because I know the communities agreed with it, the municipal councils agreed with it, the department at the time agreed with it. To me, that's justification on what needs to be done. When you can put the facts, and the administration here talks about facts, and I agree with you. Things should be based on facts. And the facts of this situation here is we have a growing community, the fifth largest. We have a junior high, an elementary, and a growing population. We have students being bussed in the majority to a city school, an aged city school. Now, I'm sorry, I don't know what the school district will do with that school if the, when the, the student from Portugal, St. Phillips, leave there. Maybe there's a way of including uh, using that school for something else, more beneficial uh, to the school district. But that's not my concern right now. My concern is for the people in my district getting access to proper education. We had that debate in the House today on other issues re related to access to education. So I'll never apologize for doing that. So that's uh, David Brazel taking uh, the opportunity during his final address to the House of Assembly as leader of the official opposition advocating for schools in his district. And uh, that's only just a portion of what he had to say in the House today as he stood for the final time as leader. Uh, he is uh, stepping down uh, once the uh, PC opposition has a new leader chosen, and that will happen before the next sitting of the House of Assembly. So uh, at times, David Brazel was rather emotional in the house today and uh, speaking um, uh, very emo uh, passionately about uh, what he cares for. Of course, uh, all of this, I guess, precipitated uh, by his uh, his health scare that he had just a short while ago um, and um, very serious indeed. So uh, those kinds of events does uh, make a person pause for thought. Well, Recreation Newfoundland and Labrador is meeting in Gander for its annual general meeting. Recreation NL President Steve Martin joins me now. Well, hello, Steve. Hi, Linda. How are you? Great. So you got a big weekend coming up. 
We do. We are at our AGM and conference in uh, Gander with Recreation Newfoundland and Labrador. So it's our first one uh, in a few years now, since 2019, actually. So we're excited to have everyone together again. What's that going to mean, finally seeing people face-to-face? Yeah, we had Atlantic Conference uh, last spring, which which kind of brought everyone together. But it's the first time, you know, our uh, our stakeholders, our membership are coming together and discussing recreation on a provincial level. Like I said, since the first time since 2019, so it's it's actually great to see everyone's faces again um, as we you know get to the conference and, and discuss uh, the sector uh, province-wide. Things finally smoothing out uh, post-COVID now. I know you guys went through an awful lot trying to figure out a way forward with all of those restrictions and the like. Are, are, are things starting to roll again? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're fully back. Obviously, some things have changed, uh, some things for the better uh, since COVID. Uh, it was certainly challenging times. I had to commend our executive director and all the Recreation Plan Labrador staff um, for steering the membership through those times and working with government and other key stakeholders on restrictions and guidelines and, and I guess, helping us uh, maneuver um, through various municipalities, other membership organizations, and, and how we deal with COVID-19. And of course, as you just mentioned, recreation, of course, goes hand in hand with municipal governance in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, and we all know that municipalities are facing their own uh, share of difficulties, challenges, especially with the increased cost of everything. Is that affecting how you do what you do? Of course, you know, like um, obviously everyone, uh, every municipality uh, has, a, has a tight budget, but, um, you know, through recreation, we're just always trying to provide uh, various opportunities, whether it's through pro- various programs, uh, events. Um, we're a trending, uh, I guess, a trending piece to recreation municipalities right now would definitely be infrastructure. People like to do, uh, take their own recreational opportunities and do it at their own time. So we're seeing an increase in that. Um, and, uh, you know, Recreation Newfoundland Labrador, really, we're, we're here to communicate, lobby, and train, regardless what the trends are out there. Um, we work with our staff to ensure that our membership has the information and, and, and the training needed uh, for the current times. Are you seeing more sharing of facilities, uh, either with other municipalities or uh, other groups? Yeah, like there's definitely a regional approach that's kind of taken place. Personally, I, I'm director of recreation with the with the town of Holyrood, and you know we do see, um, I guess, a cross of use facilities around our region. Um, but like I said, like through Recreation Newfoundland and Labrador, um, we're just here to kind of focus on the hot topics of facilities right now and, and make sure our membership have that opportunity to be engaged, network, and uh, find out the common trends across the country across the world so what specifically now do you have on uh, tap for the weekend yeah so we have some great sessions um we're we're kicking things off today um we wanted this is our first conference like i said since 2019 so there's a big social element uh to this conference and getting all the you know all all of our membership together again and kind of reuniting and uh, getting back to our regular conference um you know we have a number of sessions uh that's going to be happening throughout the next two days uh we have justin barber who's our keynote speaker um he 
obviously just launched a brand new expedition he's going to be taking on. So we're uh, very excited to hear what he has to say. But it's uh, it's a jam-packed full uh, two weeks uh, for our memberships that focus on, you know, like I said, events, programs, um, uh, facilities, and showcasing some of the beautiful facilities the town of Gander has here. Participants from right across the province? Right across the province, uh, from west to east, and Labrador included. So we're, we're roughly 70 people here at this conference, uh, which is a very, uh, very healthy number for us to be our first one back. Fabulous. I know it's a busy time, so I really appreciate you carving out this little bit of time. Really appreciate this. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lynn. I really appreciate the time. And Steve Martin is the president of Recreation Newfoundland and Labrador. He is also in charge of recreation in the town of Holyrood. Well, uh, coming up, agriculture in the classroom sees the fruits of its labor. Uh, They've been involved, of course. If you've uh, had a youngster in school over the last little while, you will know that uh, they have been involved uh, in uh, growing things in the classroom and uh, elsewhere. Um, I've seen the the results of that myself personally and uh, we're going to have a little chat about that when we come back after the break this is news talk on vocm saturday morning join us for the irish newfoundland show send your request to irish nl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com we're back as the school year starts to wind down so so does the popular agriculture in the classroom program which introduces students to agriculture and the concept of growing food i'm joined now by mother and daughter team Chelsea Foley with Agriculture in the Classroom and her mom Maureen Foley with the Little Green Thumbs program. Well, um, Agriculture in the Classroom, another exciting year and this is the year, this is the time of year when uh, students start to look at what they've grown over the course of the year with the Little Green Thumbs program. Maureen Foley, what can you tell us about it? Uh, hi, Linda. Um, the Little Green Thumbs program is an indoor program uh, throughout classrooms in Newfoundland and Labrador. We have two programs, Little Green Thumbs, and, which is a big system, which is grades three to five. And we, in the last four years, we've had a smaller system for Little Green Sprouts. It's so cute. And that's for our K to twos. And it's a smaller system so the children can manage better when they're shorter and smaller and they don't have to stand on something to... Uh, to take care of it. But in May and June, our Little Green Thumbs classes celebrate their learning experience, and they do a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, They go to dairy farms. They go to sheep farms. They celebrate with culinary sessions. Uh, Chelsea and I can go go into the classrooms, and we make ice cream, strawberry Mm -hmm. ice cream with local honey, and we do a dill dip with the children that from the dill they grew in their gardens. We also do a pesto pasta recipe, and that's with the pesto, the uh, basil they grow in their gardens, which is amazing. I can't grow basil, but the children grow it like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> a foot high or more and bushy, and it's just there's just so much of it. And Chelsea and I also go into classrooms and do the presentations on bees, and one of the most interesting and fun and loud ones is the <laughs> worms. We go and talk about our worms, because they're part of our environment and part of the growing system and they just love our worms they just love the worms in the classrooms um the other things that children the teachers do they have in classroom celebrations they cook up stuff they invite their grandparents in they sing we have a little green thumbs theme song and uh, the children gonna sing it for you right now no i'm just kidding (laughs) maybe and uh they uh, have concerts for their grandparents and their parents and they have you know special days and they go out in gardens they go on hikes 
they, we also have uh, Chelsea and I set up virtual presentation with our beekeepers across the province and children uh, join in virtually. And we learned this over the COVID that how many children we can reach if we can't go in, have an in-person farmer go in to see them, we can reach them through these virtual presentations, and it's really great that they can be participate in the program that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the farmers go in. We also have, we also have beekeepers that go into the classrooms. Um, and other farmers. And lots of farmers, mm-hmm. lots of farmers and virtual farms. And June is very busy. The dairy farms are very popular with the children. And all our farmers are just wonderful that open their gates to our children. Um, one of the most exciting, one of the other things to, to reward the children, they're very, very proud. We send them a T-shirt, a Little Green Thumbs T-shirt that they proudly wear. And if you watch Twitter during June, you'll see them all strutting around with their uh, T-shirts on. So Chelsea will talk a little bit more about that. And well, our funders, of course, our wonderful funders that fund our program. Well, before we get to uh, Chelsea, and I'm looking forward to that, don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> but before we get to that, um, it, how important is it to to make these demonstrations? You were talking about that dill dip and the ice cream and, and those kinds of things and the, and the pesto. Uh, how important is it for kids to see that food comes from things other than boxes and cans and jars? Well, that is one of our main objectives through this program, that children learn that they can do it themselves. And so many children go home in the summer and grow their own food. Children will eat something they know where it comes from, and in particular if they grow it themselves and they make it themselves. And we always stress how, how important it is for the children to be involved in, 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 in the cooking process at home or the prep for, prepping and stuff like that so it's really important for that these are life skills that they'll carry through to the you know to the grown being adults and they go home and they show their family if their family hasn't got a garden they might start one they ask their grandparents to build uh, greenhouses for them and the children are so interested in seeing they're so proud of themselves that they can do it themselves you know some things they can't do as young children but this is something they can do with their own little hands and get their hands dirty and share it with their family and friends and also their communities they they help start community gardens as well my son had a little green uh, thumbs program in his classroom a couple of years ago, and I remember this was before, just before COVID, when you could actually visit the classroom. And I remember seeing this extraordinary garden with the lights and everything in the in the in the corner of the classroom. And man, they had some pretty extensive stuff growing there. Um, what does it make you feel like when you walk into a classroom and you see something like that? Oh, it just it just fills my heart with joy. It just really does. It just it's so nice to see them participating and doing something hands-on in the classroom and learning something that they can they can take home with them and use on the rest of their lives. But yeah, it's just it's thrilling to go in and see them. They're so excited and they just want to and they can talk. They talk about the nutrition and the fertilizer and the water and the sun and they learn, you know, everything plants need to grow healthy and strong. And which we tell them, you know, about local food and how important it is to eat fresh, you know, if they can eat fresh and the nutrition it makes them stronger just like the plants so it's re- it makes me really proud to be able to uh, be part of this program chelsea is agriculture in the classroom uh, right across the province oh yes from from st john's to labrador it's all over the place if we can be there we're there 
especially um, we found, like Maureen said about during COVID, during the virtual presentations, mm -hmm. that's been super helpful for us because, you know, we didn't really think of that before. We would try to get a volunteer in the area to go in, but now, you know, we have things that we have recorded or we can join in the classroom via Google Classroom or Zoom or whatnot. So it's definitely been a learning curve, but also a very, very great opportunity to even expand the reach of agriculture in the classroom to more rural areas that we haven't been able to before. And do you find that um, certain areas or certain schools, you know, take this on in different ways? Uh, you know, do, do some schools prefer certain types of uh, uh, crops than others? Yep. Or even it could be so much as classroom to classroom sometimes. You know, we went into a class last week that um, – one garden was doing great and the other garden wasn't doing so hot. So, you know, we kind of look into that and we work with some of our plant scientists and learning that kind of stuff that maybe there's something wrong because this teacher was doing amazing before. But, you know, um, it's there's a lot of schools in the metro area that have little green thumbs, and that's just, you know, the bulk of our population is here. But, you know, it's right across the province, and we have different mentors that help out as well. So we have farmer mentors that will go into classrooms and help out. So if we're ever having troubleshooting issues or anyone needs a little extra help, we got that there for them. Um, of course, the teacher has to want to do it and, you know, share that. We've had teachers who say, oh, no, like, there's no way I can even keep a cactus alive. <laughs> and we're, we're like, well, that's why we're here. So, you know, the support is here to help. If we can, you know, find a way to help out, we're going to. So that's the great thing about agriculture in the classroom and our Little Green Thumbs program. It's very hands-on, and we do our best to help out in any way that we can. So it strikes me it's it, teaching powerful and, and, and important lessons about agriculture and how to grow and all of those good things, but it seems to me there's bigger things that kids are learning as well. I'm thinking nurturing, caring, uh, dedication, uh, responsibility. Yep. So we actually recently, because um, as you know, everything in the world has increased in price and our t-shirts have uh, gone up as our program grows. So, you know, we're, it's a big chunk of our funds sometimes to buy these t-shirts for the kids. So what we did was reach out to our teachers and asked, you know, what does Little Green Thumbs mean to them and what does the t-shirts mean to them? And the responses we got were just so overwhelming. The independence, inclusiveness, everybody feels like they're part of a team, whether they play yeah. sports or not. Like when they have their Little Green Thumbs t-shirt on, they're a Little Green Thumb and they want everyone to know it. So it's definitely something we've seen such great, great, great outcomes from these gardens that are very, very, very beneficial to these students' social. mental and social health. So no doubt you're looking forward to the next uh, couple of weeks to see how everybody's doing with all of that. But uh, what about next year? Oh, next year. Woo! <laughs> so this year, um, we're really lucky. The Little Green Sprouts program was put into the kindergarten science curriculum, um, which now also Little Green Sprout, Little Green Thumb, sorry, is in the grade three science curriculum. So we've seen a bit of more interest in these programs. And obviously teachers don't know right now where they're going to be at in September, but we do have a wait list started already um, for both Little Green Thumbs and Little Green Sprouts and even our vermicomposting program. So 
fingers crossed for us, our uh, the Canadian Agricultural Partnership Agreement just ended, but the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership Agreement has just been released. So fingers crossed that Agriculture in the Classroom continues and we continue to get support for Little Green Thumbs and that we can just continue to keep growing and growing. Well, uh, ladies, I really appreciate your time. Maureen and Chelsea Foley with uh, Agriculture in the Classroom, really appreciate this. Thanks so much. Thanks for, Thank having, you for having us. And, of course, that's Chelsea Foley and Maureen Foley with Agriculture in the Classroom. Well, coming up, uh, we're going to hear what uh, Minister of Procurement, Federal Minister of Procurement, Helena Yashik, announced today in the city of St. John's. This is News Talk on VOCN. Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. And we're back. Uh, the Federal Minister... Minister of Procurement was in the capital city today to announce $2.5 billion in funding for the Canadian Coast Guard's small vessel fleet. I understand a similar type of announcement was being made at Vancouver simultaneously. Well, here's Minister Helena Yashik at the uh, Coast Guard base on the south side of St. John's um, earlier this afternoon. So hi everyone and it's a real pleasure to be with you uh, this afternoon to see so many members of the Canadian Coast Guard, uh, you uh, Assistant Commissioner and members of the Royal Canadian Navy as well. And to be with my colleagues, uh, Joanne Thompson and Sharon Rogers, uh, colleagues in uh, the Houses of Parliament. And uh, I want to say that uh, uh, this is a truly, I think, a historic announcement. It's being made at the same time by the Minister of Fisheries, Oceans and the Canadian Coast Guard, the Honourable Joyce Murray, over in Vancouver at Base Kitsilano uh, in BC. So we're doing it both coasts um, because I, we think that this is something that uh, uh, you all will really be looking forward to. It goes without saying that Canada is a proud maritime nation with thousands of people earning their living from or on the sea. We just have to look at Atlantic Canada's fish and seafood exports each year to see the essential role of the ocean in the lives of the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. In 2021, these exports accounted for more than $6.7 billion. This is a reminder as to how important the sector is for the economic well-being of the Atlantic communities. And the Canadian Coast Guard plays a vital role in protecting this industry. Therefore, in this region and across our country, ensuring our waters are safe and accessible is a priority for our government. As a global leader in marine services and safety, the Canadian Coast Guard has proven its remarkable ability to ensure the safety of the communities it serves. The women and men of the Coast Guard need safe and modernized equipment year-long. Through the National Shipbuilding Strategy, which I'm proud to say is under my portfolio as Minister of Public Services and Procurement, we're making significant investments in the Canadian Coast Guard fleet. In spring 2019, the Prime Minister announced a renewal of the fleet with up to 18 new large ships that will help ensure the Coast Guard can continue to deliver crucial services to Canadians. We're also investing in a wide range of equipment, including 20 search and rescue lifeboats with modern capabilities for use across Canada, with one of the newest lifeboats stationed in the town of Bergio. Today, I'm glad to announce that our government is providing $2.5 billion 
dollars to complete the renewal of the Canadian Coast Guard's small vessel fleet as part of the national shipbuilding strategy. I've said it before and I'll say it again, this is an historic announcement. With this investment, we will be able to buy up to 61 additional small vessels in order to replace the aging ones that we have across the country. These vessels will play a key role in the safety of our waters and will support essential Canadian Coast Guard services and operations. The work for these vessels will be open to all shipyards in Canada, with the exception of the three large vessel partners under the National Shipbuilding Strategy. This will ensure that small and medium-sized shipyards can participate. By investing in the renewal of the Canadian Coast Guard fleet, we are investing in Canada. These new vessels will help to keep our oceans and coasts safer, cleaner and healthier for today and for future generations. Thank you. And that is Federal Minister of Procurement, Helena Yashik, who uh, made that announcement at the Canadian Coast Guard base on the south side of St. John's just a short while ago. And I understand we have a caller, but I'm not sure. Are they ready? Yeah, we're ready to go. We're going to go to the caller now on the line. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Great, great. I just wanted to call and just make a little bit of a comment on the uh, the opposition leader today about about new school being built in Portugal, St. Philip's, and and how he's looking out for his community. And and in the beginning of his speech, he was talking about all about the people of Newfoundland and Labrador and and how the government represents the people in the way that they should. Uh, and then they start talking about a new school build. And on the other side of the coin, he knows that there's a box trap that's rat infested, uh, but yet uh, that wasn't taken in, in priority as to go build a new school. And I get what he said about children being shipped to another school from his community, which I understand that too. But when they go to that school, they don't have to worry about going back to their lunches and, and actually refs being chewed on some of their food that's in their in their in the, some of their lockers. Uh, you know. Well, I can assure you there was um, um, heated debate in the House of Assembly this afternoon on the whole issue of Frank Roberts again today. Um, quite heated, actually, between the MHA for that area, um, uh-huh. Barry Petten, and the uh, Minister of Education. Well, yeah, but it just seems to me sometimes like it's, it's the common thing to do or the most sensible thing to do would be to take that priority. And, and whether it don't have to be in the CVS, could be any school throughout the province. That If you've got rats that are infecting in the school, instead of, instead of prioritizing on that particular thing, to go ahead and build a new school when the children that are going to the school out of town, there's nothing wrong with it. The school is fine. But yet to go build a new school... You know, it, it just don't make it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, so, I mean, the 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 school in Portugal Cove St. Philip's um, has been long overdue. Uh, a lot of people calling for that school for a very long time, and it's been on the uh-huh. on the books forever. So it seems uh-huh. uh, as long as I can remember, anyway, three, four, five years uh-huh. maybe. Um, yep. uh, so, uh, you know, that's one issue. But you would like to see some priority given to Frank Roberts and perhaps replacing that school. Well, it should be something done about it. Like, like you know, it's it, it's it, it's it's an education. As our sister, our, our tax dollars are paying for children to be educated and to have a decent place to go to school and sit down and not have to worry about this this, this rat infestation. 
Do you uh, have a whether, student whether attending they, the school or know somebody attending you know what, the school? No, I don't. No, I don't have no students. No, I do not. Actually, all my kids are grown. But it's just day after day you're hearing stuff about things in there. And when you hear this new, about this new, and listen, don't get me wrong. You know, everybody deserves to have a school and a good, and a, and a prime education. That's not what I'm saying here. But what, what I am saying is, like, this school up there, it's always like like he got in saying how everybody both sides of the party should come together on things and and get things done. Well, I honestly think like on this particular thing about a school that's rat infested, I think all parties, whether it be NDP, whatever, whoever they are, all come together and have this address, whether it be a new school or get in and have the school gut it and make sure that it's a safe place for the children to go to school. Uh, all right. Well, the, uh, the school year is uh, winding down. We'll see um, so, what, if anything, so transpires over the course of the summer. Exactly. So this would be a good time now while children are out for government to put on their big boy pants and get in and, and, and instead of shooting their mouth off, all these politicians, they're, they're all a bag of steam. That's all they are. Get in. Get something done. You know, don't just talk about it. Get in and do it. Don't, don't, and don't waste your don't waste money on little things like the $750,000 that the province took those people to court for, for that for that child the other day about his education. Or he's a... He's a the human rights uh, tribunal, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, instead of fighting those people, the government had to fight them right from tooth and nail and hoping that they drop it and let it go. But, of course, I'm, I'm so proud of the people that they don't. They, they kept it going and, and fought them right to, the, right to the end. I think right now government should stand up and get something done about that school in CBS. Hands down. All right, caller, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And your thoughts on that? Uh, That caller uh, says now is the time to do something about Frank Roberts Jr. High. Government again in the House of Assembly today uh, reiterating the fact that uh, inspections were done and they came back. uh, Well, there were were a few issues there, but uh, overall they came back as as safe. Uh, So um, what happens there remains to be seen. Well, privacy commissioners in Ottawa, Alberta, British Columbia, Columbia and Quebec are all investigating OpenAI, the company behind the artificial intelligence power chatbot ChatGPT. They want to see if the parent firm obtained valid consent from Canadians to collect, use, and disclose their personal information via its chatbot. Of course, uh, the chatbots <laughs> uh, just collect data. Uh, from all kinds of online sources. So these privacy commissioners now um, trying to see if um, valid consent was obtained from Canadians to collect that data that's out there. Federal Privacy Commissioner Philippe Dufresne has said artificial intelligence and its effects on privacy are a top priority for his office. Well, it remains to be seen, doesn't it, whether or not governments will be able to catch up to ever-evolving technology and and how it impacts us on a daily basis. I guess we have to kind of care less or could drive us nuts. I mean, the amount of information that we put out on our phones every single day um, and 
the mind information it's it's just unfathomable if we really truly knew what some of the information was being used for we'd probably go on around uh, hoping that we'd have the rotary phone dial yeah <laughs> and i mean how many times do you see cookies yeah 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 click yeah. um privacy i do um, that because it's just another step that's in my way yeah exactly privacy uh, agreement yeah 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 click yeah you know all of that stuff yeah but it's all data that's that's being mined and and used for major purposes and sometimes you know um, how about all of our impulses to buy certain things and we're thinking why why did i do that and then you realize that all of the stuff that you've been talking about in the vicinity of your phone has been coming up in your ads and i don't know yeah we are being i don't know what word i'm looking for but it's big brother really you know in a lot of ways big brother and and um the fact is we know better we should take things into precaution and not um, be so loose with our information but I think we're in a time of instant gratification and if we can't get the information within a few seconds on our phone that you know uh, I don't know I, yeah. I just feel that we're all a little bit complacent in terms of this and AI is just one of the things that are hindering us and one of the things you ca- often hear uh, is uh, well I got nothing to hide Yes, I've said that myself. But I've said that if myself. If you knew somebody had access to your bank account, yeah, you might feel different about mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? So it's a yeah, uh, buyer beware is what it comes down to. You have to be aware of what you're doing and how your information is being used and all those kinds of things. And if you're okay with it, you're okay with it. If you're not okay with it, then it becomes a big problem. Ignorance is bliss, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see what others have to say about that uh, perhaps tomorrow. (laughs) Um, Thanks uh, for listening, everyone. We appreciate your, um, your time and we'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then.